Welcome to FIC Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodities strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence FIC research team. Welcome to FX Moments, which is part of our FIC Focus podcast series. My name is Audrey Child Freeman. I am the Chief G10 FX Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. And today I'm joined by Stephen Chu, who is our Asia Chief FX and Rate Strategist. Today we're talking China economy, and this is again a very relevant theme uh, into the second half of the year. Uh, because the market basically started uh, the year and started Q1 under the working assumption that the Chinese re- reopening was strong. And that work, that working assumption was very much validated by the data that we had throughout the first quarter. But as we got into early Q2, this assumption seems to be questioned, at least. Uh, we had April industrial production and retail sales, both underwhelming and quite significantly underwhelming. Uh, we had some PMIs, uh, again, you know, coming a little bit on the soft side of expectation. And now the market is questioning this strong reopening for China. And that has multiple implications. That has implication uh, for for Europe in particular and, and for the, the outlook on, on the euro. Uh, but today I, I am joined by Stephen and Stephen. So what what is your take on these China growth data that we had and on the reopening story and and what should the market make uh, out of this? Thank you, Audrey. Yes, um, you're right. So on the domestic economy itself, I think market has started to wake up after the several disappointments like the April PMI, the first quarter GDP, and more recently, the April real activity indicators. You talk about the industrial production. Um, so in a nutshell, um, domestic consumption still, it has fared better compared to last year because um, a normalization from the lockdown, but not as robust as market has expected lately, as suggested in some of the services data. Um, I mean, like p- part of the reason is the somewhat soft employment situation still, just because um, say, say like that when we look at the young unemployment rate is still somewhat really high. That's unlike the U.S. because China is not the U.S. and it's a saving economy. So the same reopening playbook doesn't apply on China. So, so unlike the very robust recovery in the U.S. that we saw um, over the last uh, one and a half years, it's not the case for China. So if we look at auto, auto sales, uh, which has been robust in the fourth quarter of last year. Now, it has been disappointing this year, especially if we compare um, to the fourth quarter, as I just said. So um, so for the first quarter, um, the auto sales growth has been negative uh, for each month, so from January to March. Um, so that's a signal that the, the consumption recovery, even positive itself, is not that robust. And if you look at another very important growth driver, the infrastructure investment, which is um, sort of supported by China's fiscal stimulus. And it's always the main growth driver whenever China tries to use fiscal to boost growth. And um, this metric, so infrastructure investment, has slowed every month as well this year. Now, it's still at a very high 8.5% year on year in April, but it's still slowing from a very high level last year. And most importantly, everybody talks about properties because that's really the key uh, for China's economy. And property investment has recovered 
but it's still at a very moderate pace. So that's why um, we're seeing very disappointed Chinese data and market is disappointed by this bow. Now, of course, on the bright side, nevertheless, and part of the reason of this weakness could be due to the delayed transmission of the earlier policy support from last year, especially when we talk about monetary policy. Now, this can be illustrated uh, by the faster growth in the M2 versus the total social financing, meaning that the monetary easing hasn't really transmitted fully into the real economy and hence uh, credit demand. At the end of the day, um, I mean, like optimistically speaking, China is, will still be healthier compared to last year, and it's still on track to meet the 5% official target uh, for the year. And in fact, our economists expect the full-year GDP growth to be at 5.8%. So uh, not everything is bad. Now, finally, on inflation, I know that like even CPI growth has averaged only just below 1% for the first four months of the year. And now this could be due to some really unique factors like a warmer spring this year, like higher prices last year because, of course, the, the Russia-Ukraine warfare and China's lockdown. But uh, inflation, in our view, could creep higher in the second half of the year and could still reach 2 to 3% for second half. And hence, I think it's a little bit extreme and radical for the market to call for um, China being in a disinflation or deflation and requires further rate cuts. We don't really agree with that. Yeah, so so it sounds from what you say that um, expectations just got probably a little bit carried away uh, in the markets after the early indicators that we had, you may remember, just after the reopening. Um uh, and now we we just seeing we just need to see an adjustment to more uh, realistic uh, expectation and assumption. But we we will see a rebound in economy. We are seeing a rebound in economic activity for China, but it's just not uh, the kind of super high uh, growth that somewhat some some had hoped for. Uh, earlier in the in the year, so certainly you know this is all having an impact on on the market, um, and and on our currency market certainly having an impact. In fact, I kind of feel that you know the pullback that we've seen in the euro in, in the past few weeks has been partly it hasn't just been that, but it has been partly driven by this kind of um, readjustment in expectations on how much support we should expect from China's uh, recovery story. So for your market, Stevens, for, for the yuan, what, uh, to what extent the headlines that we've seen recently are impacting your, your view uh, on the yuan? Well, I, I, I know that you already kind of were a little bit more cautious on, on the yuan. So, you know, that's fitting in perfectly well with, with your outlook. But Please, please refresh our memory and tell us what, what's your thinking on, on the yuan from here. Okay, thanks, Audrey. So um, when we look at dollar China, so usually we look at the offshore dollar CNH. So this um, spot pair uh, broke the psychological seven handle on the 17th of May and trading uh, about seven for the first time since last December, which is uh, sort of when China announced that they're going to reopen. So basically all the optimism has vaporized. And um, so let's say as of May the 23rd, if you look at all the spot closes in Asia, so the CNH has depreciated over 2% against the dollar a year today. And it was pretty much near the bottom of the EM Asia FX league table, only slightly better than the South Korean one and the Malaysian ringgit. So that tells you how bad the yuan has been performing. And uh, and as you said, that if, you, if our clients have been tracking our portfolio, 
podcast or research along the way. So our view has always been cautious on the yuan this year, and it could be the wild card within Asia, meaning that it could outperform easily, just like what has happened in early January. But then it could also underperform easily, just like what happened of late. So based on the progress of China's macro recovery versus market expectations. And um, this is also why we actually still uh, don't like exposure in the UN for now, because the market is so uh, digital, it's either very good or very bad. And if you want to express a view on a weaker dollar uh, by year end, there are a lot of other um, better Asian currencies to pick. And to be very frank, China's macro recovery would never be blockbuster and will always be uneven as market has aware now, given the nature of the service sector oriented boost in the slowing external economy. So it's not like trade, uh, trade, um, trade boost or like, um, like goods exports that's boosting the world and also China. So it's very different. Now, in short, I think market was just too optimistic um, since last December and early January. But now like uh, market is getting more pragmatic and realistic. So kind of, okay, so I, I, I think we're probably seeing uh, a period of consolidation. And as you say, there are more interesting um, peaks within Asia uh, if you want to think about weaker dollar into, into the second half of the year or c- certainly into, into early H2. Um, but for, for year-end, uh, what, what is your working assumption on on dollar dollar yuan right so at least for the near term so namely for the rest of the second quarter and at least in the early and third quarter we are still somewhat um, pessimistic on the yuan Um, so from a practical perspective we still wouldn't pick the yuan if we want to express a bearish dollar view as you said so uh, the reasons are as follows so firstly from a sentiment perspective i think market um, it's, it's still not pessimistic enough about China's uh, recovery, and there could uh, be more pessimism to be priced in. But once that has happened later this later this year, then I think that like consensus about China data becomes so underwhelmingly pessimistic that the data could offer some upside surprise. So that's why um, sentiment could support the yuan later this year, but not for now. Um, secondly, and more importantly, um, so China's trade surplus, which is really the most important structural tailwind for the UN during the pandemic, um, may start to narrow for now just because of the weakening global demand. Especially when we look at the final demand from the US, from Europe, it could retreat further. And even if exports supplies to the upside in China, the Chinese exporters may choose to hold on to their dollar receipts just because it gives you um, better deposit rates. And that's really the benefit of having high interest rate in the U.S. And thirdly, um, further normalization in China's tourism uh, will always um, be a structural headwind for the Yuan. Now, for instance, um, China Outbound Tourism Research Institute um, has suggested that China's outbound travel this year could recover to two-thirds of the 2019 highs, uh, meaning it's going to be over 100 million trips. And um, that will be a structural headwind for the yuan because there will be a lot of demand for um, other currencies, foreign currencies. So they have to sell the yuan for that. And if you look at the more timely Thailand, Thailand's tourism data, um, and that supports the view that there are more Chinese tourists visiting different places of the world. Just uh, last but not least, the last reason that the yuan may stay weak for now is there tend to be dividend outflows during the June to August period. So um, this will keep the yuan undermined as well. So, so basically, for the time being, you you, you kind of uh, hold on to the view that uh, 
UN softness uh, continues. Uh, certainly the data that we've seen um, reinforce the view. Uh, and I, I, my question is, at what point do you feel that the structurally more bullish outlook for the UN comes back in, into play? Um, and I'm asking that question because um, I, I certainly feel that uh, better news out of China um, will help uh, the, the more bullish outlook that I have for the euro uh, into later this year. I just agree with you. I feel at the moment well, there's a lot of uncertainty and it's not just China macro related. Uh, we obviously have the big question mark about the U.S. debt ceiling situation, as well as what I still feel uh, we don't have the full picture yet on to the extent to which the regional banking uh, predicament in the U.S. Uh, is filtering through onto credit uh, and to what extent it's uh, tightening monetary condition in, in the U.S. But for, you know, going back to China, when do you feel we should see the, the yuan recovering and to what extent? So what kind of levels do you f are you thinking into, into year end? Right. Um, so as I have talked a little bit earlier, we think that the yuan weakness may last until at least early Q3 until um, reversing and appreciating again in the fourth quarter. Oh, um, one driver that I forgot to mention, really the most important driver for practitioners and traders is that um, the carry is very expensive to hold a yuan against the dollar just because the lower yield in China versus the US. So that negative carry is really killing. So it's very expensive um, to hold the yuan for now if it doesn't appreciate fast enough to pay for that carry. So that's why for now, it's just really unjustifiable to hold on to the yuan. So just you mentioned some levels. So for now, we think dollar CNH uh, may have to head higher. So we are talking about um, the resistances near 7.1, 7.2, with a very important technical resistance near 7.12 that we should be aware of. Now, of course, um, it's still very doubtful that it would touch the high last year, which is 7.37. I think that's a little bit uh, too far-fetched. So that's probably not going to happen. But 7.1 and 7.2 is certainly possible. Then the pair could drop again and end the year closer to 7.7 .7 to 7.8. Now, very interestingly, the very last line is that our BI beer fair value model using data up to the fourth quarter of last year did suggest a fair value for dollar China at 6.63. So back to 6.7 and 6.8 is certainly uh, justifiable. So thank you. Thank you very much, Stephen. Um, China's growth prospects are crucial. They always are crucial. But I, I kind of feel that given the expectations that were built in the markets early in the year and the recent news flow, uh, there's an, a new element of uncertainty here as to how much of a recovery will we see in China into the second half of the year. And that will prove crucial not only for the outlook for the Chinese yuan and for Asia FX, but also for G10. Uh, it's very important to the Aussie dollar outlook. And obviously, it's also very important for the, the bullish view that we have on, on the euro into, into the second half of the year and how much more upside we should contemplate on the euro from here. So this concludes our FX Moment podcast. For any question, please reach out to myself or to Stephen on the terminal. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you.